If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 57. Luke 9, verse 57. The title this morning's message is The Deadest Funeral. The Deadest Funeral. What did Jesus mean when he said, let the dead bury the dead? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for such a sweet spirit in this place today. We thank you so much, Lord, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth at my life. Lord, that I can follow you. Lord, that you will lead me and guide me and lead me into the truths and the paths of righteousness for your namesake, God. What does that mean that I can lead, follow you and be led into the paths of righteousness for your namesake, that my life is a worship, that my life is a, a, a message, and then it's, Father, I am following you, and I pray today, God, that we will renew our commitments to be true, lifelong followers, committed disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would truly know the meaning of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. There was a conversation that took place between a, pen, uh, a hen, a chicken, and a hog one day when they passed the church. And they heard the pastor preaching, and he was saying, how can we help the poor in our parish? After a moment of reflection, the hen said, I know what we can do. We can give them a ham and egg breakfast. And the hog protested immediately, saying, you know, the breakfast would only be a contribution for me, or for you, but it would be total commitment. For me. Sometimes I think that's how Christianity is. It's a contribution for some, but for others, it's a total commitment. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is coming to church, is being a Christian, is being a follower of Jesus Christ, just something that you occasionally contribute to. You put in your eggs in that basket, and you give that donation, or you give a little bit of here and there, that time, or are we like that? That pig who said, man, to give my all, that is a total commitment if I'm going to lay my life down for that cause. Are we a contributor? Are we a committer? You know, any sinner can feel convicted and pay their tithes. That's true. But only a disciple will give their all to Jesus Christ. Anyone can feel convicted and pay their tithes, but only a disciple will give their all to the cause and the mission of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk today, are we willing to be totally committed, totally committed to follow Jesus? And is there anything, even, even those of us who've been in church longest, is there anything that we put ahead of serving Christ? And what's required to be a disciple? What are the qualifications? Many volunteer today to follow Jesus, thinking it's a good idea. But many fall short of becoming committed disciples. Many people think it's a good idea to follow Jesus Christ, but many also fall short of being fully committed disciples. Look with me in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. We're going to talk about three requirements today and three types of people who don't make the cut. Uh, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first permit me to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, after seeing the authority of Jesus, man, this guy was casting out demons. He was healing the sick. People never heard someone preach with the authority that he had. Jesus had no shortage of followers. You know, the Bible says that thousands upon thousands flocked. Even some people we know traveled over 100 hours on foot to see and hear Jesus. They were cutting in through the roofs, man. They were like jumping in. They were pressing through crowds. I mean, there was a lot of people who really wanted to follow, to see, to hear, to touch Jesus. But there were so many that did not make the cut. So many that did not remain with him into that upper room in Acts chapter 2. Because you know why? Jesus judges the intents of our hearts. And here, right here, we have three men who could have become disciples but they would not live up, they would not meet, they could not sacrifice the things of this world to become a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And what's a disciple? A dictionary says it's a committed follower or a student of a master teacher. And this committed follower and this student of this master teacher, they learn, they accept, and they help spread the teaching of their master. They learn they accept it, and they help spread it. That's the definition of a disciple. And so if we're talking about a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's three requirements. That means I commit my life to this master teacher, to I commit to him, and then I follow him, and then I choose to make disciples after him. So I must commit to him, I must follow him, and I must make disciples after him. That is the definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ, one who's committed, one who follows, and one who makes other disciples. Think about it today. You go, to, you go to apply for a job. Every job has a list of requirements. Even in our, our uh, Brother Phil, wherever he was, he worked at the post office, and you know the federal government has all kinds of requirements for you to work for the federal government. Uh, you go work for a hospital or a state or a, uh, you work at a prison. Oh, they're all going to have requirements, and most anybody can make them, but you have to meet up to their standards. You've got to step up sometimes. You've got to be at work on time. You've got to do these certain things. You've got to meet these requirements. And if there are requirements to get a job or to fill a position for in our earthly kingdom, in such a lower place, how much more in God's heavenly kingdom when we say Jesus has set forth these requirements and anyone can get in? But we do have to step it up sometimes. We do have to say, God, I want to meet the requirements of what it means to make, uh, to be a disciple, to be committed, Lord, to follow you and to make other disciples after you. You know, salvation is free, but following Christ costs us something. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs something. Jesus is not on a, a frantic one author says, to find followers. 
He's not on this sporadic thing with, if I can just get any, please, please, please come. come. He's not pleading uh, and, and begging people who are unsure. He is on a mission to find anyone. He's eagerly looking, the Bible says, to anyone who will come to him, but it's on his terms and not our terms, right? He's not, he's not uh, panicked. And, and, and looking and saying, hey, if, if I'll, I'll lower my standards, I'll, I'll try to work it out so you can do what you want to do and then also come follow me. He's saying, here, I, the door is open, the way is paved, anyone can come, but this is how you must come, right? This is what it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think so many times the church today, we have lowered the standard of what it truly means to be fully committed, fully faithful. And it's not a religious thing. It's a relationship thing. And it's a love thing that I have for Jesus Christ that causes me to willingly give up anything else to be committed to follow him and to make other disciples. And we like to forget that last part. We want to be committed. We want to follow him. But making other disciples is the definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, many years I sat on the church pew, believing in Jesus, reading my Bible, saying my prayers. But there came a moment in my life when I believed it enough, when he was so real enough that I could not help but be fully all in, all in committed. And when the, it was a journey, the more I grew in Christ, the more I got closer to him, I got committed to this master teacher, committed to uh, falling more in love with Jesus, that I could not help but give everything to the cause of the gospel. And I think that's what we see here in this passage. Who believes in Jesus enough to commit, to follow, and to make other disciples? Let me say it again. Who in this world, who in the church today believes in Jesus enough? We all believe in Jesus. The Bible says even demons believe in Jesus. Uh, they know who he is. The world even, uh, historians, my, most of the people that uh, taught me, uh, got my Bible degree from in a secular university, my minor in Bible, most of them believed in Jesus, but they didn't follow him. They weren't committed to him, and they weren't making disciples of him. See, there's a difference between sitting in a church pew this morning and hearing the word and going home. You can even read your Bible. You can even say your Hail Marys or your Lord's Prayer every day. Or you can even do good things. But there's a difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. And we see that right here. These men wanted to follow him, but there was something in their life that prevented them from being fully committed, all in to follow him, to be committed to him, and then to be a disciple maker, which is the fruit of of being with this master teacher. It is a natural occurrence because if you get with Jesus, you can't help but want to tell more people about him. You can't help but want to serve with him. And so we're going to look at three followers today. Number one is the passionate follower. Let's look at these three guys. The passionate follower. Passionate. Mark tells us this guy was a scribe. And look what Jesus says. We're back. We're still in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Jesus says to him, uh, the man says, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, that's a statement. Wherever you go, God, I will follow you. Man, we make some bold statements sometimes in prayer, don't we? God, send me anywhere. Wait, wait, not Africa. Or no, 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 wait a minute. I'll do whatever you want to do, but don't tell me to sell my car. Or, you know, like, where will you, wherever you go, God, I'll follow you. And Jesus said to him, interesting, he just pops this off out of nowhere. Jesus says, 
You know, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Being a scribe meant he was in the category of the Pharisees. He was a legal expert of the law. He kind of like a, uh, someone that would work for our city court's office or our clerk's office today. And he would sign legal documents. And uh, the Bible talks about the scribes and the Pharisees. They were a certain class, and they were experts of religion and the law. And so it was a big deal because the Pharisees were one of the number one persecutors of Jesus verbally. And so for this man in this crowd, and you got these other Pharisees over there kind of looking around, looking at Jesus, thinking, what's he doing? And they're like talking bad about him. Here's this man. He's one of them. He steps out from among this crowd of religious bureaucrats. And he says, Lord, where you go, I'll go. Send me anywhere. I'm going to follow you. I mean, he's enthusiastic. He's passionate. It had to be something in him. That, he, that would make him step out. Think about it. What makes you step out from your peers, from your family? What makes you be bold for the gospel? There's some enthusiasm. There's some passion, some, some eagerness. No doubt this man was moved by the crowd. You can imagine Jesus was in there, and there's all these thousands of people, and he just healed somebody, and then maybe he cast a demon out of somebody. He just spoke this awesome message. You know, it's like we're in revival. Man, it makes anybody want to jump on. I mean, you just feel that. You ever been in those, those movements or those services or maybe it's that football game? You just feel like you're not even rooting for the team, but all of a sudden you find yourself standing up shouting, you know, like you don't even care. That's kind of what this man, he all of a sudden finds himself jumping forward. And he's like, I'll go. I want to do what you're doing. And it took him something to stand out from the crowd and to be a scribe and to step out from his position to speak up for Jesus when no one else would. And that's something, that's something that we need more today. But Jesus responded so purposefully. He responded intently. And he responded to something that no one else knew about this man. He saw into this man's heart. Had nothing to do with the context. Here comes this man, God, I want to do, yeah, let's go, revival, Jesus, well, we're going to reach the world. And he said, I don't have a home. And the man, you see, the man was comfortable. He was comfortable in his position. He was comfortable. I don't know if he had a nice home or not, but he was excited and he's enthusiastic as a crowd, but it was this fleeting temporary emotion. It was an impulse Because while he desired to follow Jesus, it was apparently not worth giving up his comforts. I wonder sometimes if we come into church and we're like, yeah, Jesus, let's reach the world and let's give and let's send our youth and let's build a thing in Belize or let's go do these awesome things. But then when it comes to Jesus speaking intently into our heart, he says, what if I take your comforts? What if I take that thing that you treasure most will you still be so enthusiastic with me will you still follow me because where i'm going is not comfortable i'm not following jesus is not always comfortable because where he's going he's going to find that one lost sheep he's going into the dark valleys and the deep places he's going to where it's dirty where other people begin to mock him he's leading us to the cross on calvary he's leading us to die And this man thought it was a party, but it was actually a funeral. And see, that's where Jesus is calling us. He's not, it's enthused, man, it's good to have enthusiasm. But when, what do we do when he says, would you give me the thing you hold most value? Would the thing, would you give me your comfort? 
Jesus to this man, he says, if you're unable to count the cost, it's better that you stay home. Wow. Isn't Jesus all about bringing everybody, getting everybody saved? Come on, let's join. Everybody join Jesus. But he says, if you're not able to count the cost, it's better that you stay home. But true followers of Jesus, you know what we say? We would respond back and say, Jesus, this world is not my home. I can count the cost. I'm ready to give it all because this world, maybe, may I, yes, Jesus, you don't have a home in this world. Jesus, I don't have a home in this world. I will follow you. If that man would have responded that way, I believe Jesus would have just said, come on, let's do this. This world is not our home. Nothing in this world is our home. This world is not our home. Do you know, do we know what we're pledging to do when we say, Jesus, I'll follow you? James 1.22 says, Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. I pray against the comfort of religion in our churches across this country today because following Jesus is not comfortable. It's more than, sometimes for us, it's more than giving up a soft pillow or a warm home. Sometimes Jesus doesn't often tell us to do that. He doesn't often tell us to sell our home. Sometimes he, he may. But for most of us, we'll get through this world not giving up our pillows and our our queen mattresses in our home. But he may call us out of the comfort of religion. He may call us out of the comfort of religion. because Why? Because religion sacrifices, religious sacrifices, they only appease our own conscience. And Jesus is calling us from religion to relationship with him. You know, we like our cozy churches, and we like the American church, likes our easy-come and easy-go worship. I'm not specifically talking about our church, but churches you see in general. We see an easy-come-in and an easy-go-out. It's a short checklist of do's and don't. It becomes a life of service to me, a worship-serve-me service, a worship-service. And it becomes a life with no true tests of faith, no risks. No risking of relationships. I don't want to get too close to anyone because I might get hurt because I've been hurt before. I don't want to give too much because I don't know if I can handle it. I don't want to get too involved because it might require too much of me and my personal time or my hobbies. I don't, I, there's, there, what if they don't love me? Or what if they don't like me? It becomes a us for even and no more mentality where this is us and we're good, we're okay. Let's just wait till Jesus comes. That's religion. But the relationship with Jesus is dying on the cross with him. It is a motion. It is that we are going somewhere and we were leading ourselves. He is leading us to the Calvary, to the cross on Calvary. It's a commitment of my time and my talent and my treasure. It's a commitment to die to the comfort of religion for the relationship that is a greater gain in Jesus Christ. And so if we put ourselves in the situation here of this passionate follower, this churchgoer who loves to dance and shout and sing hallelujah on Sunday, but Jesus would say, I interpret here, that for those who would seek a warm and comfortable church life, Jesus says it's best to stay home. 
I'm not looking for a warm and comfortable church life. I want to see a, a group of people and a mighty move of God happen in our schools and, and around the world. But it's probably going to cost me some time in prayer, some laboring in prayer, weeping for the loss. It's probably going to cost me to give of my time, of my talent and my treasure. But it, you know what? It's not a suffering thing. It's not a woe is me thing. It's not a pitiful thing. It's a rejoicing thing because I get to keep that same enthusiasm because I like following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, and I look at the comparison of giving up things in this world, and I see there is an eternity of hell awaiting so many people. And so how could I think that having these things and having my toys and having my fun time and having my hobbies, I've got all eternity to have hobbies. But today is the day of salvation. This is the age of the Messiah. This is the time where people will choose life or death, and it will matter what comes on their funeral day. It will be the most important day of their life when that last breath happens where they'll spend eternity. And if I can make a difference just in one person, man, it'll be worth it. It will be worth it, right? What if it's your son or your daughter or your friend or your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad? Wouldn't it be worth it for me to give up a few thousand dollars over the course of my life? Wouldn't it be worth it to put a few more hours in prayer? Wouldn't it be worth it to turn off the TV and say, God, I don't need to be as comfortable as the world. God, I want to just have a deeper relationship with you. Lead me closer, Jesus. And yeah, you're going to the cross, but if you can handle the cross, God, I know you'll give me the strength that I need to handle the cross. Because we have the Holy Spirit here today, church. It's not about a comfortable, warm church life. And yes, we're the family of God. Yes, there's love in there. But you know what? Being a warm, family-friendly church is not about our comfort, but it's about our relationship and love to forgive when we're wronged. It's, a, it's hard stuff. It's to love one another even when we don't get along. It's to forgive and move forward. It's to pray for one another. It's to sacrifice for one another. It's not a serve us. It's a, I love you enough to sacrifice my life for you. That's how we have that warm place that we call church. The comfort of religion. Let's look at the procrastinating, the next guy. The procrastinating follower. So we move from the passionate, fleety follower who needs to give up comfort of religion. And we move to the procrastinator. How many people are procrastinators? Let's just be honest. How many people are, I'm not going to talk about you, but how many people are procrastinators? All right. Very good. Let's honest. I don't have to talk about lying next. All right. <laughs> the procrastinating follower. I like this one because Jesus says to this other, he says, follow me. He says to someone, follow me. But then the man says, but Lord, he's willing. He says, Lord, first permit me to go and bury my father. I thought this was very interesting. Jesus personally called out this man. The other man volunteered. This man he called out. Just like he called the 12. And when he says the phrase, follow me, it was a unique phrase meant, come be my disciple. It was a phrase that the man would have understood as a, as a rabbi had come into the town. When the rabbi would say to you, follow me, it meant, come leave your profession and your life and come be one of my privileged students. It was a call probably to preach the gospel, just like the 12. He would have been one of the 12. Or in the, the circles that we have, that there's the 12, and then there's more beyond the 12, the 72. And so he would have been a close walking man with Jesus Christ, but he was willing, but he was not quite ready. Willing, but not quite ready. Do you have a unique calling on your life 
that God has given you, but you're not quite ready to fulfill yet. That's what I think about this. And I think about so many times I hear stories. I've heard stories from over my whole life of people who, in a church service, maybe they were a young person at a kids' camp or a youth camp or in a revival meeting, and they say, you know, I was called. I remember God called me when I was 12, and he gave me these dreams and visions, but yet I've not fulfilled any of those things. I, I spent time running away from the call. That's just so popular of a story that we, we all of us, in, in some sense, though, God is called to something, something God has put in your life. There, each person in the body of Christ has a unique position, a unique mission that each one of us, we are a hand or a finger or an ear or a toe or a leg. We are all part of the body of Christ, and we have a unique calling. And this man was willing to do it, but he wasn't quite yet ready. Maybe you've given excuses today, some of us for many years. What's stopping you? Ask yourself this. What's stopping you from fulfilling your unique calling? Maybe you don't even know what it is. I believe the Lord would reveal it. What's stopping you? What Jesus says to this young person is he says, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, and as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the gospel of the kingdom of God. Allow the dead. Can you imagine? What is he talking about here? Man, you could get really offended real quick, right? If Jesus comes, you say, hey, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And he says, well, forget about that. Come follow me. And you'd be like, let me, let me see a pastor tell you that sometime. Hey, I'm on my way to my funeral. That's okay. We're having JBQ. You come follow me. You know, right, Miss Mary? Would that be worth it? No, we wouldn't dare say that, would we? Wouldn't dare say, no, you don't need to attend your family's funeral. Come follow me. Let's go do some church work. Let's put this in the real world today, okay? Can we, be, can we be real? Let's read into the word. What is he saying there? What does he mean? You see, culture tells us that Jewish people, on the day that their family died, would have the funeral. And so there wasn't this, you know, sometimes we have like a week-long you know, thing where we, can, we have the technology today where we can embalm people and have a funeral a few days later. We didn't have that back then. So if someone died, they would be burying them immediately, within a few hours. They didn't have the grieving time that we did. They would do it afterwards. So when we know that he says, let, Lord, let me first, prevent, uh, first go bury my father, we know that his, culturally his father was likely not dead, but instead what he was saying was something more like this. Lord, my, my father is old in age, and he's likely to die, we don't know, maybe weeks, months, or years. He's living at home, and I can't really go with you yet, but once he's out of the house and he's gone, then I'll be more free to go with you abroad. I don't want to leave the country. I don't want to be too far from home in case something happens. Now, that sounds a little bit different, right? And so this is what he was saying. He was giving an excuse. To be, he was reluctant. He's I'm, I'm willing, but it's really not the right time for me and my family yet. All right? Now, we've heard that before, and I've heard that. See, Jesus wanted to rescue this man because what he was saying to him is this, that, son, you'll be a dead man at a dead man's funeral, but come with me and you'll live. See, I don't, he was trying to rescue him and say, let the spiritual dead bury the spiritually dead. Come live and follow me. He was rescuing him. Because if he would have stayed home, he would just be a, 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 a dead son bearing a dead father. What does that mean? Ephesians tells us that if you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, but then when we met Christ, we became alive together with him. God has saved us by grace through faith. So if he was saying, son, 
Don't go to a dead man's funeral dead. I want you to come with me and live and follow me and go immediately and preach the gospel. There's something more important I have for you than waiting around for the right time to follow me or to do the mission I've called you. I've got something for you. Now think about it today. How many people are walking around dead? I'm not talking about the movie, The Walking Dead, or whatever the people watch today. But how many people are spiritually dead today, walking around, dead in their sins, dead to Christ. And Jesus is saying, just come and follow me. Come live. Don't be, I mean, can you, it's such a sad picture. Luckily, the, since I've been here, I've been to uh, several funerals, but every single one of them so far has been a person who loved the Lord and knew the Lord, and it's been a rejoicing time. But I've been to those funerals where there's just no hope. It's a sad thing. And the pastor doesn't even have the words to say to comfort the family because there is no hope without Jesus Christ. No hope. And what a pitiful place to be spiritually walking around dead. And Jesus is saying, son, I'm going to give you hope. And if you come with me, then your father will have hope. And get your priorities in order because now is the time. Follow me. You know, we're not to neglect our families, we're not to uh, dishonor them, but Scripture declares this, that we are to put our love for Christ at such a high level that loving our family, the Bible says, should look like hatred in comparison to how much we love Jesus. That when we love Jesus, only till we love Jesus can we love other people. And Jesus is saying, son, you've got to love me more. Do we believe his calling is greater than our personal responsibilities? Maybe there's like this, but, yeah, I do, I do believe it, but, or, you know, I believe that, but, well, is his calling greater than your personal responsibility? This man, this son had a personal responsibility to take care of his dying, ill father. I mean, there are things that you have to do. You, I mean, how many people, you know, I'm not raising my hands, but you've had a, a parent that's gotten older, and it gets hard, right? Yeah. My mom has a, our, my grandma. It, uh, my mom is very involved in the care of my grandmother, and she's a wonderful woman of God. But it's not an easy thing, and there are responsibilities that people must do. And Jesus was calling this person away from very serious responsibilities, but it was because the kingdom of God is greater. Think about that for a moment, church. The kingdom of God is the greatest responsibility on this earth. And I believe that if this man had in faith left it all and said, God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to work it out, God. But I have faith in you. If I put you first, you'll figure it all out. You see, Jesus isn't going to just leave this man's father to be sitting there with a bedpan in the room or not. Nothing. God would work it out. God blesses those who put his kingdom first. And sometimes today we might say things like this. You know, once my kids are older, then I can do more for the Lord. Maybe then I'll do my calling. You know, uh, once I'm retired, you know, then I can do more for the Lord. Or, you know, once I get that debt paid off or uh, get that house paid for, then I can give more, do more for the Lord. Once I get a little bit more time. Mm, once I get a, you know, there's all much, everybody's got the same amount of time in every day. Once I get a little bit more time, then I can probably get more involved in my church. That's once I get a little bit more time, then I'll do those things. Today is the day. To follow Jesus. There is no tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We can spend our whole life saying, well, you know, maybe in a little while I'll, I'll do what God has called me to do. Maybe in a little while I'll get all in. Maybe in a little while. 
You know what's sad about this very verse? Is that Jesus kept walking. He did not wait around for this man to get it sorted out and catch back up. You think on that for a moment. Matthew 16, 24, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Are there excuses in our life that keep us from being a committed follower? What delays our response to share the gospel? Let's look at the perhaps follower, the last one. The perhaps follower. This one, another one, he jumps up out of the crowd and he says, I'll follow you, Lord. And this guy just kind of, the other guy just kind of faded away. I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. That's pretty reasonable. We're reminded of the story of Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19. Young Elisha was this young boy plowing an ox, you know, plowing with an ox. And he had a team of oxen, he was plowing, all of a sudden Elijah the prophet comes and he throws his mantle over him, and that was a sign to be a disciple. And so Elijah, Elisha understands what it means, and so he drops the team of oxen and the plow, and he runs and falls after Elijah. I've got to get my jazz and my shuz right, right? Anybody have that problem? All right, he follows Elijah, and he says, Lord, you know, he wants to follow, but first let me go back and kiss my family goodbye. Well, that's the same thing, right? And Elijah says to him, he says, go on back, but don't forget what I've done to you. Don't forget what I've just said to you. And so Elisha says, okay. And so Elijah says, all right, go on back then. Don't forget what I've done to you. What does Elisha do? Elisha goes back. He tells his family bye. He kills the ox. Excuse me. The ox. And he kills the ox. He feeds the whole family. And then he goes immediately and follows Elijah. What's the difference here? Jesus perceives into this man's heart. And it's not about him telling his family Bye. There's nothing wrong with a loving farewell. But if it gets in the way of our commitment to follow Christ, if anything gets in the way of our commitment to get all in to Jesus, it's a sin. Anything, if anything gets in my way to get all in to Jesus, it's a sin in my life. You see, Elisha's sacrifice of the ox was his testimony of faith. Elisha went home and he killed the thing, the ox, that was his vocation, that was his responsibilities. So him going home, he gave it as an altar and an offering to God. He killed those uh, ox and he made a sacrifice to God. And so his heart was in full commitment. It wasn't like this guy, because this man, what he was really doing is saying, yeah, I want to go, but let me go back and let me check with my mom and dad real quick and let me make sure everything's okay. And Jesus knew that he was wavering, that if he had gone back, they would likely have talked him out of it. And so he did not have his own decision to follow Christ. He was like, yeah, I want to follow. That's a good idea. Let me go check, make sure everything's going to work out just well. I'll be back and I'll catch up with you. And Jesus is saying, what does Jesus say? He says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. Everybody say fit. Man, we want to be fit. It's fit for the kingdom of God. You know, plow usually had this one handle. Uh, in, the, in ancient times, it was this lightweight thing. And you'd have a, a, a plow behind a team of, let's say, ox or whatever. And what you had to do is, one, you had a, a, a goat or this staff or this rod that would uh, prick that ox and, and make it to go the right direction and in the right speed. And this 
person would have to lean forward because they were really, really lightweight back then, and they would have to lean forward on it. And so you'd have to lean, and you're pricking that ox or whatever. And the way to do that, and we see it in farmers today, you have to you do this with your lawnmower. This is probably for most of you. You pick a spot, right? And you got to focus on that spot. And if you notice, if you're not, you get a phone call or your text, then your, your lines on your lawnmower are going like this, right? Well, that's the same way. They had to pick that spot and focus on it. And if you were trying to put, you can't concentrate on keeping the ox going and pushing down. And if you don't stay focused and you say, oh, there's a bird or a squirrel or whatever, your, your lions are going to go this way or that way. That's what Jesus is saying. If you don't stay focused on where I'm going, you're going to drift to the right or the left and you may lose your salvation. And if we're not focused on where Jesus is going, he is leading us. Easter is coming. He's leading us to the cross. And if we're not focused on what we're doing in him and where he is taking us to die, we might come up short, church. And that's what he says to this young man. You're not all in. You're not focused. You're, you're wavering. There's things of your past that you are looking to, and you're still holding on to things from your old life. There are things that still give you comfort. I don't know if it's the addictions of your past you still fall back on when times get tough, or I don't know if it's a relationship you haven't fully let go of, or maybe it's just the thoughts of not giving everything up, and you have to have that safety net of that financial resource that you always feel safe with. I don't know what it is, but there are things in our past, and Jesus says, if you're not all in looking to me, you will fall short of coming up where I'm calling you to go. And that's what he says here. Discipleship requires us to be fully intent on following Jesus Christ to the cross he wasn't warning him of kissing his family by, but it was a warning that you might be putting earthly relationships and earthly desires above a total commitment. A total commitment. Young person, what boyfriend or girlfriend caused your desires to be divided from following God? Who do we place above our commitment? My challenge is that every young person in our church Go all in for God first, then ask him who you should date. That's the way it should be. Isn't that right, parents, Amen. young people? Go in for God. Put dating and all that aside. Put God first. He'll give you the people and the person that you are needed to meet. Trust me, I prayed before I started dating. I said, God, I don't want to date anybody who you do not have for me. I've been with my wife since 16 years old. Never been with another girl in my life. Never kissed, dated, hugged, anything. God will do it. It ain't easy. It's hard. Tell me. It's hard. It is very hard. Men, it's very hard. God will do it. Put your desires for God first because he has a better way. You'll be more blessed. There are no regrets in my life for things with other women that I have ever done. I have no regrets. I have no, no, no shameful feelings about something that I accidentally did with anybody else put God first, he'll do everything else better, right? Mm. What about ma'am or sir? Do we have a distracted or divided heart? What do we keep our attention on, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, throughout the day? Are there things that we still look or hold on to from our old self, our old life? Maybe it's that bitterness, that unforgiveness, that selfishness. God's calling us deeper. He's calling us to go forward. In Genesis 19, Chapter 26, we remember Lot was told by angels to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, cities of violence and lust and depravity, 
God's judgment's coming, just like on our nations and our world today. It's a place of violence and lust and depravity. God's judgment is coming today. And they were ordered to escape with their lives. And the angel told Lot and his wife, do not look behind you. And we know the story. What does she do? When God's judgment began getting poured out, she turned. And the Bible says she turned and immediately she was turned to a pillar of salt. You know where that place is today? That place is now called the Dead Sea. It is the most salty place on the face of the earth. There is nothing there. It is uninhabited for miles. God's judgment is eternal. It is lasting. And may we as his church be the pure spotless bride that says, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm not looking back to the the culture and the morales of this world. I'm not divided between you and where I'm going. God, I'm focused. I'm all in. I'm everything. My heart, my mind, my ideas, Lord, my passions are in you. Lead me to the cross. Do not pass me by. That is a fearful thing, church. These three people. Miss T, would you come? These three young people. These three people. Jesus kept walking. And they did not follow. They had an encounter with Jesus. They spoke to him. Can you imagine hearing Jesus? Can you imagine having a conversation with Jesus? So many people come into churches today. They'll have a conversation with Jesus. They'll hear his words, but they won't get all in. And Jesus is still walking. And he's walking to the cross, and he does not stop. And for every man, woman, and child here today, he is leading us to the cross. And it's up to us to say, Jesus, don't pass me by. You know what that means? It's really up to us to follow him. Say, God, do not pass me by. I want to follow you. I want to be committed to you. I want to make disciples after you. The last one is the committed disciple who God is calling each one of us to be. What does it mean to be a Christian today if not to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be committed and to make disciples? You know, Billy Graham said this. He said, Christianity is a verb, not a noun. The Bible tells us to work, to go, to suffer, to endure, to fight, to witness. It's a verb. Where are we going today? The reward of such a decision is not just freedom from the consequences of sin and death, but following Jesus is a life of everlasting peace, joy, and love in the Holy Spirit. Man, it is so rewarding to put Him first and be on that road to the cross because... It's life everlasting. It's abundant. Who believes in Jesus enough today, not just to hear the words, not just to go to church, but to commit to follow and make other disciples that you might live and never die. Miss T is going to lead us into the first line of this song. This is my prayer. I'm just praying over our message today, and this is old hymn came out of nowhere in my mind. Thinking about these men who Jesus passed them by. What a sad day. I pray for us today that, God, I want to be on board. I want to be committed. I want to be all in to be a disciple maker of Jesus Christ. Would you just?